Good afternoon. On the clock. I say, it looks like it's 12.45, so I guess we'll get started. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank everyone for taking time out of their schedule to come join us for this session. Uh, this session uh, is titled Increase Your Productivity with These Ergonomic Principles, sponsored by Boston Tech. Can you guys hear them in the back? You guys can hear them? Can everyone hear them? First, I'd like to introduce our presenters. And uh, starting off with a very good partner of ours, we're very excited to have him here, uh, Jeffrey Hoyle. He is the Director of Ergonomic Services for the Ergonomic Center of NC State. And myself, oh, there we go, got a couple fans. Uh, myself, I am the Senior Applications Engineer for Boston Tech, who are the manufacturer of ergonomic workstations. With that being said, I'm going to go over some objectives today. We're going to review the, er the economics of ergonomics, followed by the results of Washington State Department of Labor 250 case studies. Then I'm going to go over some principles to consider when designing an industrial workstation. And to taper it off, we're going to go over the new ergonomic time and motion study conducted by Jeff and his team at NC State. That said, I'm going to hand it over to Jeff. All right. Thank you, Rob. Uh, so let's just talk for a few minutes about the economics of ergonomics, right? That's why we're all here. We're looking for solutions to save our companies money, correct? So just to throw a few statistics here at you, um, this is something that the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out uh, every year. And if you look at the impact of these ergonomic-related injuries ac across the workplace, what we call work-related musculoskeletal disorders, uh, and you look at the lost and restricted uh, injuries, so those severe types of cases, that's your leading category by far, are work-related musculoskeletal disorders, those ergonomic injuries, representing 33%, right, of all those costs. Uh, this is a, um, something that the Liberty Mutual Insurance Company puts out also every year. Um, just talking about the need for ergonomics, and they look at the top 10 causes and the direct costs associated with those most disabling workplace injuries just in the U.S. Can you see any of these might be ergonomic related? I know it's probably small font, especially for you guys in the back, but that first category, if you can see it, it's overexertion. So those are injuries from lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling, those manual material handling types of injuries. Those represent roughly 23.4% of those top 10 most disabling injuries, and that's $13.7 billion, again, just in the U.S. Uh, the other categories that are ergonomics related, you see the, one that, the other one there in green, other exertions or bodily reactions. Um, it it kind of is, is misleading in, in terms of that name, but it's really injuries from um, working in awkward positions, right, reaching, twisting, uh, working on your knees, uh, that represents roughly 7.2% of those top 10 most disabling injuries and another roughly $4 billion annually. And then that last category that you see there on the, on the far right, repetitive motion, we know that's ergonomic related. Uh, so that's another 2.6% and another $1.5 billion. So if you take those three categories, right, and add them together, that's roughly $20 billion that we're spending on work-related musculoskeletal disorders, those ergonomic injuries, every year just in the U.S. That's a lot of money, right? Um, <clears throat> so what, are the, what is that money being spent on? And that was just really direct costs that Liberty Mutual tracks. 
Um, so those direct costs are things like workers' comp cases, your medical costs, legal expenses. Um, and that's just kind of tip of the iceberg, those things that are easy to measure, right? Easy to, to track. Uh, however, uh, and this is uh, OSHA and, and other sources cite this as well, those indirect costs that also impact your bottom line, things like uh, somebody goes out on injury, you have to train somebody uh, to take their spot. Or if you have high turnover rates, you got to uh, train more, more people. So those all costs, they all result in extra time, and, and we all know that time is money. Um, also indirect costs, the, the, the time it takes to do accident investigations, the lost productivity associated with, with injuries, um, low morale. We all know that uh, happier workers are more productive workers, right? So that can impact you there, and then high turnover rates. So again, OSHA and other sources basically state that for every dollar spent in direct costs, you can be spending up to five times um, that amount for indirect costs, those things that are below the surface, harder to measure, but still impact your bottom line. And those impact you, right? They impact your business, they impact your bonuses, they impact your, your stock options, your retirement, right? So these things are important. Uh, this was another interesting study put out by the Journal of Occupational Environmental Medicine, and they looked at, um, it was over 30 companies that have really strong uh, safety and health cultures and programs, and part of that is, is a strong ergonomics program embedded into their organization. And they looked at, over this, uh, what, 13 to 14 year period, how their uh, stock market performance performed, right? And they compared it to the S&P 500. So you can see over this 13 to 14 year period, those companies that have really strong ergonomics and safety cultures outperformed them by more than three times, right? So if you're, in, you know, if, you're, if you're in business, if you're an executive and you're looking for your stock options to increase or you're even looking for investors to invest in your company, uh, this matters, right? Uh, another um, a pretty good resource that I wanted to share with you is uh, this OSHA calculator. So if you're looking to help, help get a, an estimation or a calculation of how much these work-related musculoskeletal disorders impact your business, this is a free resource. Um, and by the way, all of these resources that we're sharing with you guys today, we have a handout in the back where there's a QR code to each one of those resources. So you can just scan it from your phone, it'll automatically link you to that website for all these resources. So you don't have to you know, try to jot, jot them down. Um, but this has a, a number of different um, uh, estimated costs associated with these work-related musculoskeletal disorders. You can input you know, the, the, um, the type of injury that you're wanting to assess and it'll spit out the numbers for you. Um, it also will give you, you can input your profit margin and it'll tell you how much additional sales you have to make to make up that incident, that musculoskeletal disorder uh, injury case. So if you're wanting to talk to like a production manager or operations manager and say, hey, we incurred one back injury and we only have a 10% profit margin, we got to make you know, 150,000 extra dollars of sales that year to make up for that one incident. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, another resource that I wanted to share with you guys, and I'm going to show you these metrics here in a few minutes, um, but the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries put together this, uh, this case study. So it was actually 250 different case studies in which companies implemented ergonomic improvements into the workplace. 
and basically they found a lot of positive feedback, a lot of positive data. So overall, and again this is a free resource that I'm going to share with you, we found that ergonomics reduces your costs, it improves your productivity, it improves the accuracy in, in your product quality, uh, it even improves employee engagement. If they're part of the risk identification and the solution process, they become more bought into what you're trying to do and, and you increase that engagement, which in turn improves productivity. And it also just creates an overall better safety culture. So the next question you're probably asking yourself is, okay, well that might be well and good, but by how much, right? Well, this is by how much. So we put together this table for you guys. Uh, again, across these 250 different case studies, um, you can see here that 90 of those case studies actually reported on work-related musculoskeletal disorders and found across, again, those 90 cases, roughly we're seeing a mean or an average of a 59% reduction in those work-related musculoskeletal disorders. And you can see there um, the range, 8 to 10, 8 to 100% uh, reduction. Lost days, for example, 75% uh, reduction across those 78 different case studies. Uh, workers' comp costs reduced by almost 70%, 68% roughly on average. Uh, productivity improved by 25%. Uh, and then if you look at that payback period, there were 36 different case studies that reported on that payback period. And we see that return was less than a year, right? Which is what we all want to see is a less than a, a one-year payback, 0.7 months. So, I'm sorry, 0.7 years, so that's about eight months, roughly. And you can see those ranges on that right-hand side. Uh, some of the other metrics that were reported, quality, uh, so a, a reduction in scrap parts or, or errors made in processes. Only eight different case studies that reported that, but they saw a reduction of roughly 67%. Uh, turnover decreased by 48%. Absenteeism decreased 58%. And then a cost-benefit ratio, only six of these studies actually you know, reported a, a metric of a cost benefit. Um, so what does that mean? Basically for every $1 spent in um, the, the solution that they're implementing, they got a return of roughly $45.5 back. All right, pretty good return, right? Uh, and then another um, uh, resource that I wanted to share with you guys, this is part of those 250 different case studies. If you go to this website, and again, there's a QR code to this link as well, this is a downloadable Excel file where, uh, again, it's based on that Washington State study. It asks you to input the work-related musculoskeletal disorders across the last three years, the type and the number, and then it'll actually calculate the estimated costs of those. And it also asks you a, a few more questions in terms of uh, you can you can input three different solutions and the costs associated with those three solutions, and then it'll, it'll tell you what's your return, what's your payback period, what's your annual savings over one-year period, two-year period, and a three-year period. So it's a pretty handy tool um, that you can use if you're trying to cost justify the improvements that you're trying to make in, out there in the workplace. So check it out, it's, it's a pretty handy tool. And it's based on data, not just a bunch of hand-waving, okay? And one of the solutions, and, and Rob's going to get more into this, is obviously workstations. We're all dealing with workstations out there in industrial work environment. Uh, and we all know that people are different, right? There is no such thing as the average worker anymore, right? And with ergonomics, our goal is to try to design these workstations to accommodate 
the majority of our workforce, right, to accommodate your short to your tall, different strength capabilities, different reach capabilities. Uh, so Rob's going to give us some tips and tricks on how to do that and maximize these benefits that we just talked about. You with me? Haven't lost you? Okay. I'll hand it over to Rob. All right. Thank you, Jeff. So what I'm just going to be reviewing today is just going over some of the ergonomic principles when going through workstation design. I mean, we're going to be looking at workstation design today, but I mean, these can be applied to any ergonomic solution. So I'll be reviewing the optimized position, eliminate extreme movements, minimize forces and repetition, order and color coding, as well as optimize lighting. And what I'm going to do is, again, I'll go through some examples of each and some possible solutions for the situations I'm providing. So let's look at optimizing position first. Uh, let's look at this particular situation. This is a multi-user station, we'll call it. Multi-shift, multi-operator might be known as. Um, so take a look at the person in the middle. Now, say we've designed that station for that person. Well, everything is set into the neutral position, very effective for that individual. But now, if we look to the right, we're introducing another person. Say this is second shift. This is uh, another person that's on the team. Well, that person is much shorter, so now look at what we've done. The table's higher, and by doing that, it's causing that person to have now an extended reach. They're now putting more stress on their lower legs, as well as they're reaching over their shoulder. Now, if we take that situation and we, say, fix it for that shorter individual, now we've created problems for the taller person. So now, for them to use that particular workstation, they're now bending over. And now they're causing issues with their neck and lower back. May not seem like trouble at first, but over time, this is where a lot of injuries can happen. So in this scenario, what's some of the possible solutions? Well, one of the best solutions is a height-adjustable workstation. And by doing so, that station, when the operator comes, can individually set it to their preferences, and now they have put themselves back into neutral position. Let's look at another example. And again, I mean, I'm talking of workstations, but as you walk through these uh, aisles, you will see lifts and all kinds of ergonomic height adjustable uh, solutions out there. So again, just doesn't solely pertain to workstations alone. So in some cases, uh, I mean, this type of thing isn't seen as much as it used to be, but in some assembly operations or other operations, you have printed materials. Sometimes if you're assembling something, you might have work instructions, or some individuals might have to work off of invoices. And those could be stacks of paper or notebooks sitting on a surface. may seem pretty innocent, but by having that on the surface, the individual has to look down at these items so they can process the orders or do it uh, assemble the parts that are needed to be done. So they're bending their neck. Again, seems pretty innocent at the time, but over, over the course of time, cause a lot of neck injuries and musculoskeletal disorders. So one of the most simplest solutions is a monitor arm. I mean, a lot of these, as technology moves on, a lot of companies are putting work orders, invoices, assembly instructions into digital form. So you can just put it on a monitor, and that way it raises it to the height that someone can look at it. 
Now, that's not the only solution. Say you didn't have it all digitized. I mean, you could even use document holders, just as an example of one type of other solution. And these are some of the most common things I'm sure we've all seen before. I mean, optimally, you have height adjustable arms, and as you can see, monitor and keyboard. Ideal because for each, again, as Jeff was saying, there is no average worker. Not everyone's the same. So to have a, a monitor set position and a keyboard at a set position may not be ideal for all. Though that gives you the opportunity to adjust it solely to each individual. There are also articulating and combined arms out there. Again, much better, but just not as adjustable as the pneumatic arms or spring-loaded arms. And also out there, you find a lot of things like keyboard trays, extremely effective. Not only in helping to position the keyboard at a good height, but also it can keep the workspace clear. Because again, one of the things that you know, I always try to do is anything that's not pertained to the task at hand should not be on the surface. So I'm gonna try and get that keyboard out of the way when it's not in use. Another principle that we always look at is to eliminate any extreme movements. Now in this particular example, we're gonna use box building and loading items into, a, into boxes. Um, now normally when you set up a station, you do it for the smaller boxes, but every now and then you're gonna wind up with a, a big box. I mean again, that's not every operation, but I run into quite a few where you'll have a lot of medium-sized boxes, but then all of a sudden they have these one or two really large sizes that, you know, it, you can't even fit it on the station, no less, uh, you know, put it, put it up on the surface. So as you can see, with the small boxes, that's perfectly set up for that individual, but once you build the big box, the person is actually having to take the item, say it's a shirt or a pair of pants or something, and now they have to reach up, over, and in to the box, so that's creating reach over the shoulder. So one of the things that we do to combat that, at least when Boston Tech designs a station, is we will put things like uh, under shelf box building. Now those are very effective because what it does, as you can see, is now you've created a surface that you can build that tall box, place it down below, and now when the person's putting items into the box, they're not reaching over their shoulder, and at the same time, they can even see what's in the box, and it's a lot easier for them to, to pack. Um, you can also use a box building table, which can be very effective. Again, the idea behind the shelves, though, is once you're not using it, because you may only use those tall boxes once or twice in a shift, you can push that shelf out of the way, and it's, you got that space back. And usually you have more than one shelf, so if you have a medium box and then a really big box, you can have multiple heights. Another example of extreme movements, I do actually see this a lot, uh, packing materials stored under the work surface. Well, depending on what it is, in this case we're using bubble wrap, you know, whenever you have to get that item, you might have to use it on every box or every particular uh, in interaction. That person's gonna have to bend down to pick up that roll of bubble or whatever it is, packing, it could be packing envelopes, could be anything. And it's, as you can see, it's causing strain. Uh, they're bending their hips and in their waist to get down at those things. So even implementing simple things like spool rod holders or bubble wrap holders, I mean, that allows them to remain upright, putting them in a more neutral position, and now those items are just right in front of them. They can just grab it. They don't have to bend down. They don't have to reach above their heads to get these things. 
just a couple examples showing some of these items. I mean, you have spool holders that can hold the bubble wrap. You have label troughs for labels. Those are very, very common on stations. I'm sure we've seen them before. Box building shelves, corrugate storage carts, and even printer pullouts. So again, one of the things we're always trying to do is get anything that doesn't need to be on the surface off of it. So again, introduces the idea of the printer pullouts. Another thing, another principle is minimizing repetitive movements. In this example, we're going to take a look at, say, someone assembling a part. Now, when we look at the workstation surface, we have different zones. Uh, this, you're showing the first, second, and third zone. Now, the person's putting these parts together, and we're going to say all the parts that they need to complete that function is in those bins at the other side of the surface. Uh, I, I see it a lot. Uh, as you can see, for the person to get at those, those parts, they're going to have to start twisting their torso. So now they're moving in order to reach those parts. Again, we're always trying to keep you neutral, as minimal movements as possible. Again, zone one is the most used items. Zone two is where you're going to be placing these, I guess you could say, the second most used items. Third zone, least used items. Just by implementing something like a rail, a bin rail arm, you can now position all those pieces into the first zone, and then when they're not even being used, you can push them out of the way. Minimizes forces and rep uh, repetitive exertions. We're going to stick with the assembly operation, but in this particular example, we're going to look at someone who has to, say, put different types of screws into an assembly. Now, forces is pushing, pulling, twisting, anything that creates force, even using a hammer, um, is considered uh, force. So in this case, we're looking at someone using a screwdriver. Now, that, you can imagine, if they're putting screws in all day, they're putting it in, they're, they're twisting it, they're using this motion all the time. Um, by simply implementing something like a power tool, like a, a power driver, and put that on a balancer that can keep it off the surface away when they need it, that can eliminate a lot of, uh, a lot of injury. Another simple uh, principle is order and color coding. We're, we're still on the example of someone putting something together. So many times, I know when I come into an application, I will see that you have a bunch of parts. They might have, say, 16 different parts. It might be washers and screws and all that. And a lot of times, you'll see them in bins, which is great, but they're all the same color, all blue or all red. What the idea is behind here is, by implementing something like color coding, labeling, and even the order of it, because again, when, we're, when you read, you read from left to right, top to bottom, left to right. So if you position these pieces in order, it can greatly increase your accuracy and make, again, just make it a lot easier on the individual. And here's just an example of what a station like that might look like. You have color-coded bins, you have a, a bin arm, as well as uh, you have the balancers with the power drivers on it, as well as even some, some monitors and on a height-adjustable table. Another factor that's not always taken into consideration but is very important is lighting. Now, many buildings do have natural light in there, and they also have overhead lighting. But again, as we all know, if you have a dim, lit area, it can make it hard to see, and it can cause people to have a hard time focusing. Too much light can also be a problem. That can cause tiredness. 
So when putting together a, a solution, you want to make sure you have proper lighting. And by, if you don't have enough natural or room lighting, you can put things like overhead lighting on, or when you get even more accurate, you can get into task lighting. And these are just some examples. Uh, you have general purpose overhead lights, task lights, and you even have magnifiers. So they are not in addition to lighting up the surface, it actually magnifies it so that you can see the parts better. And here's just an example of, say, like a medical uh, workstation. So one of the things that, I mean, as time goes on, technology keeps moving along with us. Uh, many workstation providers will have online configurators. They are extremely useful uh, in the sense that you can put it together and see what you're buying before you buy it. But many configurators are now getting to the point where you can actually use that in your process. So it can help you set this up. Before you purchase it, you can set that up to show your team to work through, and it can become a very valuable tool. Uh, with that said, I would like to uh, have Jeff discuss another uh, useful tool on, on the web. Thank you, Rob. Uh, so, so yes, another free resource that's that's online for for your um, uh, I, I guess for your for your free use is a, a suite of ergonomic assessment tools that can allow you to not just be able to assess your workstation, but also a variety of different tasks uh, within your processes. So um, it's, it's through this website, uh, through our website, ErgoData. If you um, Again, there's a, there's a QR code for this, but we tried to make it as relatively user-friendly as possible. So if you're trying to assess a two-handed lift, for example, it's going to download the NIOSH lifting equation for you to assess that type of task. Uh, there's other deep dive analysis tools for one-handed lifting, others for one-handed pushing and pulling, others for two-handed pushing and pulling. There's tools for upper extremity intensive tasks. Uh, so basically, as a user, you just have to select what type of task you're trying to analyze. It downloads the tool as an Excel file. You can save it wherever you want to save it uh, and use it appropriately. Uh, they are all published, peer-reviewed, validated tools, not just a bunch of hand-waving stuff again. Okay, So that's a free resource uh, for your use. I will just be honest with you is uh, if you're not taking the right measurements, and plugging them into the analysis tools, then it's garbage in, garbage out. So um, make sure you're abreast of what the correct measurements are that, uh, that you need to plug into these tools. Um, one of the things we partnered with Boston Tech on that we wanted, we wanted to share some highlights of this study with you guys is we wanted to, to really test a workstation that followed those principles that Rob just got done explaining and compare that to a workstation that does not follow those principles, a, a non-ideal workstation. So we basically, we did this, uh, we did this study in fourth quarter of last year. Uh, we recruited 10 subjects to participate. It was split. We had five female, five, uh, five male, all different heights, different weights, so different BMIs. We wanted to get a, a representative uh, you know, population. And we had these uh, participants perform two uh, basic tasks. Right? These are two common tasks that we see in industry. One was a, an assembly task where they had to assemble, I think it was two different types of bolts, uh, eight different types of washers into a sub-assembly. Right? Uh, so that was our assembly task. It was less than a five-minute cycle time. 
And then we also wanted them to do a, a basic uh, packaging or fulfillment task, common that you, know, that you see out in industry. That was a less than a three minute cycle time. And again, we wanted to compare and see uh, what kind of differences we're going to see in terms of productivity, uh, ergonomic risk, and I'm kind of jumping the gun because that's my next slide. So first and foremost, we wanted to see if we're seeing a difference in cycle time, right, between a, 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 a workstation with those principles and one that did not follow those principles. We also did a little uh, lean uh, analysis where we looked at the number of uh, value-added versus non-value-added motions. If you guys have done any lean training before, you know value-added motions are motions that your customers are willing to pay for, something that you're adding value to the product, right? Versus non-value-added is not, okay? So that was another metric that we wanted to, uh, to look at. And then we also wanted to look at if there's any ergonomic risk differences. So we looked at two different metrics for ergonomic risk. Uh, one being uh, the number of reaches that fell outside a recommended work envelope, like Rob was talking about before, and that was based on frequency, okay, of the task being performed. And then we also looked at uh, risks to the upper extremities, because it was primarily, you know, reaching types of tasks that were being performed. So if you guys are familiar with uh, RULA, Rapid Upper Limb Assessment, it's an assessment tool that's primarily posture-based that assesses risk to the shoulders, elbows, hands, and the wrists. Uh, there is a back and a leg component, but it's really assessing risk to the upper body. Uh, and then we wanted to get some subjective feedback from the users. Again, those 10 people that, uh, that volunteered. So we, we got them to actually rank order the two different workstations, and we asked them a five different questions, and, and I'll share some of that with you. Uh, there's also a quantitative way to measure usability, subjective usability. It's called the System Usability Scale, or SUS. Uh, it's actually a validated tool, and it's a series of 10 different questions, and they have to rate those questions, and it gives you a total score, uh, and I'll share that with you guys in terms of the results. Now, I will say, when we had to submit this presentation, it was way back, uh, I think December 1st was the, the deadline, so we didn't have all of the results to, to include in this presentation. Um, I can highlight some of the ones that we don't have slides on. So. Uh, first off, just looking at that assembly task, right, from a productivity standpoint, looking at the difference in cycle time, um, the traditional fixed height, you know, non-ideal workstation versus the one that followed those sound, sound principles that Rob discussed, we saw roughly an 18% improvement in productivity, all right? Not too shabby. Uh, the packaging of the fulfillment task between those two stations, we saw in roughly the same, 18.5% improvement, okay? So those are the cycle times that you're seeing there. Uh, that system usability scale that we used, you can see on the left-hand side of this, uh, this chart, you see the assembly task. Roughly we saw a 64% improvement in usability, subjective usability from those participants. Uh, and it fell right there at that superior line. Uh, the packaging of the fulfillment task, we saw a 76% improvement in that usability uh, reported. And then uh, it's pretty much across the board in terms of just the, the preference ranking for, I guess, these five questions. So when we ask them which workstation do they prefer from a safety standpoint, from an ease standpoint, from a speed standpoint, uh, less effort, and then finally with quality, it was pretty much across the board, obviously the one that followed those sound ergonomic principles. Uh, in terms of some of the other metrics, uh, we're, still, we're still okay on time. 
but just to highlight some of those other metrics, when we looked at the, the lean results, these are the ones that we don't have slides on in terms of the value-added versus non-value-added motions, we saw a 39% improvement um, in, in that metric, okay, with the, obviously the one that followed those ergonomic principles um, for the assembly task. For the packaging task, we saw a 27% improvement. Okay, from a lean, you know, lean improvement standpoint. And then with the ergonomic risk differences, uh, so one of the metrics, again, I mentioned was looking at the number of reaches that fell outside a recommended work zone. Uh, we saw with the assembly task a 46% improvement and the packaging we saw a 59% improvement. And then finally with the RULA, the rapid upper limb assessment score that, that looks at the upper body, we saw with the assembly task, uh, and de depended on the specific task, because you got to use that tool, you got to break it up into small pieces and look at individual tasks being performed. But we saw up to a 30% reduction in ergonomic risk for assembly, and up to a 46% reduction in ergonomic risk for the packaging task. And again, it was task dependent. Okay. And I think that's all, that's all we have as far as uh, slides. Um, any questions? Comments? Did you get something out of this time that we were together? You got some free resources. And again, those, uh, those handouts, um, make sure you pick one up. They have the QR code so you can scan them. Those are all free resources available online. I miss anything? Did I miss anything? if you wanted to talk about any other state workstations. About, about 10 minutes. I was going to say, I mean, if anyone had any interest, uh, I mean, we had, you know, technically about 10 more minutes or so. I mean, I had some examples of some custom workstations. If anyone was interested in uh, sticking around, I can go through some of them. Um, again, uh, as, as we all know, no, no operation is the same. So again, again, that's where we get into the whole average worker doesn't exist, and what works for one company doesn't always work for another company. Um, these are just a couple of examples that ha uh, have been put together by Boston Tech. Um, as you can see, I mean, we've implemented things like the monitors, the monitor arms, as well as lower corrugate shelves. Um, stations like these, these are both height adjustable stations. Uh, let, me, let me actually start with the one on the left. This particular one, it is a fulfillment operation. And again, it, we needed some space for corrugate, which as you can see, we put some corrugate storage on the top as well as the bottom. Now they happen to work with a lot of um, garments, so they had hangers. So we actually implemented, uh, it's kind of tough to see, but just below the top corrugate shelf, there is a bar, which you had a bunch of hangers on and the, the associates were able to use to put the garments on the hangers before they put them into bags or boxes. You had all kinds of bins there for tags, and now the kind of the tags, like you see small, medium, large, or different sizes. Um, also implemented, again, there's technology on the station, so you have a uh, CPU holder that's off the side because they're using thin clients, and you have the, they didn't use the pneumatic arms, but they did use keyboard arms as well. Now this station on the, on the right, it's a little bit more of a different animal. This was a put-to-light station. 
Now, with those who are familiar with Put to Light uh, or who are not familiar with Put to Light, um, basically you have all those cubbies at the top and they put light bars on each shelf in front of every cubby. So whenever it comes to the station, you have a, the individual scans it, it will then light up a, a, a bar and then you put that, that piece, whether it's a shirt, pair of shoes, or pair of pants, into that cubby. And then when the order is full, ultimately fulfilled, say the green light will now go to red or red will go to green. Now the associate can take that out, put it in a box, and then put it on the conveyors to send out. Now this, we had also put in uh, some larger bins on the, on the surface itself, because this particular company did a lot of shoes. Um, but we also implemented uh, printer pullouts underneath the surface. The larger one on the left, that was for their invoice printer, typical HP, uh, HP printer. And you had a Zebra uh, thermal printer underneath the middle. So the individual was still able to get out the labels very easily, but again, we took them off the surface, so now they have more space to do some work. Uh, the yellow one, extremely interesting. A uh, lot going on there. Not your typical station. You won't find that in a catalog, but um, again, companies like Boston Tech, there are many workstation manufacturers that will do custom work. Now, that particular station, um, I might even just step out a second. had about four trays on it because depending on the time of year, they had red paper, blue paper, green paper, and all that for different types of flyers and printouts. What am I doing for time? So a very tall printer, and also these individuals, they wanted it so that when it finally printed out, it was at the same level of the surface, so when the person went to grab that invoice or that packing slip, it was literally at the same height as the surface. They just grabbed it and pulled it out. Now, right above that, Again, this is a packing station, so that was a, a tape dispenser, uh, one of the water-activated tape dispensers right above the printer. Uh, fully sealed box, by the way, because we don't want water falling into that enterprise printer. Um, and then what they had, they had a small zebra printer on the top shelf up there, and you also notice that there was a cutout into the surface just to, just to the right of the printer. And what happened was is... Uh, these guys had it so set, so dialed in that as the printer fed in, it would feed out with the label, and the label just fed, went right into the garbage can. So the associates never had to tear off paper and throw it into a garbage can. It just automatically fed into a garbage can. And shelving was ultimately used for poly bags. Uh, and additionally on that shelf, you had things like flyers and other uh, things you might put into a, a package for mailers. Again, entire surface, fully height adjustable. The one on the right, again, a lot of the same principles were being used. We do have under work surface pullouts for a lot of the printers. You have corrugate storage up at the top. Again, this uh, might have guessed that this has a uh, hanger rod on it for the same customer that I showed you before, but just different variant of table. And as well, as you get into different setups, you can do things like cutouts for scales. You can have two bi-level surfaces, and again, surfaces like that can be set, or you can have them so they are height adjustable. And 
If you ever want to get into more information, uh, Jeff and I have our cards at the back. Uh, you can visit our websites or certainly reach out to us. I am always more than happy, and I'm sure Jeff would always be more than happy to help you out with any type of application you might have. If you ever get stuck, I love challenges, uh, and I am more than happy to take a look at it. <laughs> so with that, did, did anyone have any questions? We have about five minutes left. No? If not, then I, will, I can give you five minutes back to your day, folks. Certainly, again, I appreciate you all stopping Thanks, by. Thanks, guys.